Okay, we should be working, and we are. Okay, pitter-patter, let's get at her. So now we're going to start into the stuff of this course. We've dealt with all the extraneous things about movement and areas of the body and so forth. Now we're actually going to get into the thick of what this course is, which, of course, is anatomy and physiology. So thinking about the hierarchy, levels of hierarchy, we're going to start with the cell, then we're going to do tissues, then we're going to do organ systems, which would take us to organs. So we're going to spend some time on the cell and the parts of the cell, and then also then we'll be moving into, um, um, in, the, in the next uh, week or so, we'll be moving into the nucleus and protein synthesis. We'll be moving into the mitochondria and anaerobic, aerobic metabolism, and then we'll get into the tissues, and then we'll get into the organ systems. I love that stuff. Come on. Protein synthesis is incredible. <laughs> okay, so we can say that the cell is the smallest unit of life. Why? And what does it mean to say that it has um, the ability to sustain life? It has to be able to do some things. It means it breathes. It reproduces, it eats, it drinks, it poops, right? does everything we kind of do only on an extremely microscopic level. So because it can do those things, and although human cells choose not to do this, in essence, I could take a single cell out of your body and put it in a particular solution, and it would survive as long as it was fed properly and so forth quite nicely, right? It is related to those single cell things that you looked at in... L Elementary school or high school? When you looked at the paramecium in the amoeba, when was that? Do you even do that anymore? I don't think so. Okay. So the paramecium and the amoeba, do you look at those things in high school anymore? Is it 11 bio? Yeah. So all you're doing is looking at a cell. The thing to take from that is the cells, when we talk about cells in the human body, they're not a whole lot different. They still contain a lot of the same things. Just that in the human body, cells have decided to give up their independence to work for the greater good of the organism. That's ultimately what happens. And we'll also find that the human cell um, has um, some specializations that those single cells don't. And on the other hand, those single cells have some specializations that our cells don't have. Uniquely, that's about the only difference. So we have to think about the parts of the human cell. So the first is... Um, have the right one here. I hope I have the right one here. Uh, number one is a membrane. It has a membrane around it that surrounds it and keeps everything inside. It is known as the plasma membrane, also the bilipid layer membrane. I'll explain that a bit further as we come up. And what its big role is, is to keep things in, to let particular things out, and to let particular things into the cell that the cell requires. So it's a bit of a gateway. The second part is the cytosol, and the cytosol represents the fluid found between the membrane and the nucleus. So it's semi-solid, semi I guess, or semi-fluid, so it's a bit, not quite gelatinous, but it's not quite watery either. And we find all kinds of things in there, vitamins, lipids, water, proteins, carbohydrates, amino acids, there's all kinds of stuff in there. Um, and as a breakdown from that, the further subset of the cytosol is the cytoplasm. Whereas the cytosol is the liquid between the membrane and the nucleus, the cytoplasm is everything between the membrane and the nucleus. 
So that includes all the organelles and things that we find in there, which we see here in the diagram. So the cytosol is the fluid that surrounds all this stuff, and the cytoplasm is all this stuff that we can find in the cell at any given time. Uh, organelles, they're the ones that sort of are specialized like us. There's, you know, um, one that's... Uh, the, power, the, the powerhouse, the mitochondria, one that's the, the center of control, which is the nucleus, one that is, does a lot of packaging and reorganizing of things. There's, uh, there's organelles that dissolve stuff, so forth and so on. The last is inclusions, and these are things that we don't see in every cell. And may, you may look at a cell one time and there's something in there, and the next time it's not. So these are things that kind of come and go. They tend to be secretions before they're released out of the cell um, uh, that are being stored there for the short time and then released. The thing here is that most authors draw, or most artists draw the cell exactly the same, uh, you know, complete circle, nucleus in the center, and everything surrounding. That isn't necessarily so. All the cells in your body aren't necessarily somewhat perfectly round or ovoid, and nor is the nucleus always in the center. It can sometimes be in the outer edge, as we'll find with skeletal muscle or you will find with skeletal muscle in clinical anatomy one, is that the nucleus actually is deliberately way out on the edge. And there's reasons for that. So it's good to see that you see everything here, uh, sort of in, and the author puts everything in. But you realize that there are some things that uh, not all cells have, such as a flagella or a flagellum, which is a tail. And we don't always see the nucleus directly in the center of the cell. All right, how many people here have taken the cell membrane? All of you should have. No? Taking a cell membrane in school? Yeah, the cell membrane. You're taking a cell membrane? Okay. I, I, the reason I'm asking is that, uh, is it going to be review for a lot of you? It, yeah. How did I confuse you? What happened there? Well, you've ingested lots of cells. Even if it's vegetables, you're still ingesting cells. So, I am drawing the human cell membrane. It is uh, semi-permeable, which means it is selective as to what can come in and what can go out of it. Obviously, we want that because we don't want the cell to lose everything, nor do we necessarily want bad things to get into a cell that could do a lot of damage to it. There are three compounds that make up the cell. The first is protein. Now, protein makes up 50% of the membrane by mass. What is mass? Weight, correct. So if I take a cell and weigh it, 50% of that weight of that mass is the protein of the cell. Here's how I want you to start thinking of a cell. Think of when you were a kid and you did the little bubble thing with the soap bubbles. You blew and you had the bubbles floating around. Think of one of those bubbles as a cell, okay? So it's, um, it's semi-fluid. You know, I'm going to talk about it a bit later, but you can see that if you look at a bubble in the, in the wind in the sun that it's swirling within that membrane of the bubble. But I want you to understand that if we take that bubble as, as a cell, 50% of its mass is protein. There are two types of proteins we find. They are either integral or peripheral. Integral proteins have exposure to both sides of the membrane. 
Okay, they travel through the membrane with an exposure both extracellularly and intracellularly. So they are a protein channel, which we'll learn later, but they do actually travel through the membrane. The other type of protein we find is called a peripheral protein, and it sits on the periphery of the membrane. So we may see it here or here. More often than not, they tend to be extracellular. So let's say this is outside and this is inside the cell, okay? Just to, so that we're all kind of on the same page when I'm talking, all right? So we have integral proteins that travel through the membrane. We have peripheral proteins that are either lie on the inside or the outside edges of the membrane itself. This next thing that we have that makes up a cell membrane are lipids. Lipids mean fats, okay? So there are three types of lipids that we find in the membrane. There are phospholipids, glycolipids, and cholesterol. Whenever you see glyco, what's that mean? Sugar. Right, it's a sugar or a carbohydrate. So that means we have a molecule there that contains a carbohydrate strand, okay, as well as the lipid molecule. So the phospholipids make up 75%, the glycolipids 5%, and cholesterol 20%. What's unique about cholesterol? Why have cholesterol? It's hard and sticky. So right, it's a structural protein. It helps maintain the cell's strength and shape, right? You know, the, you ever see anybody, elderly people, they got those yellow things around their eyes? Okay, that's cholesterol, actually. That, yeah, that's actually cholesterol. And uh, if you were to take it out, it's kind of cheesy. Think of it as like cream cheese. Okay, so it's got, it's got some stickiness, but it also has some bulk to it, right? So that's what cholesterol does. This is why, you know, there was this big thing years ago about, you know, don't eat cholesterol. No, cholesterol is bad. Well, maybe too much might be, but at the end of the day, you need cholesterol for a lot of things in your body, one of which is to help maintain some structural integrity for this puppy, okay? So these combine to form 45% of the membrane. The last part are carbohydrates that we find, so sugars, and they're usually found attached to the integral proteins and lipids, and they account for the cell membrane by mass. Uh, the cell membrane, um, I think it's about uh, 5 to 6%, something like that, by mass. And they tend to act as receptors. So I'm going to use an entirely different color here. I, I'm not going to drive hexose, but let's just, you everybody know what a five-sided thing looks like? Right, it looks like a house type of thing. Okay, so sugars tend to be hexose in shape or pentose. And so if we just kind of do this, we may find a chain of those coming off of this protein. So that would be a, glyco, um, um, a, a glycoprotein. And sometimes we find that there are chains down here and so forth. Okay, and that would be a glycolipid. They tend to hang out from the cell membrane they are used as receptors, right, for um, to attach to the cell or repel the cell if the cell, whatever the cell is doing at the time. Okay. What I want to understand is that, well, it's, uh, it's kind of in the next slide. So here's an artist's rendition. You'll see here, these big bean-looking things are an integral protein, so it's traveling through the membrane, and you'll see it has exposure to both the outside and the inside of the cell. You'll see these little balls here and they tend to be your peripheral proteins, so they're just sitting in the membrane itself. 
the pentose chains here coming off our carbohydrates, and one thing just as a sidebar, the branches of carbohydrates will be determine what kind of sugar it is and what role it plays. But you'll see that this was a carbo, a glycoprotein uh, here because the carbohydrate is off of the protein, or as we see here, because this sugar is coming off the lipid part of the membrane, that is called a glycolipid. And then you'll see here these little yellow things. That's why I said if you think of the yellow in the eyes, cholesterol tends to be a yellow-colored fat. So you'll see you these impregnated pieces of cholesterol that, again, are providing structure and strength to the membrane. Questions? Just review? Yes or no for something? Okay. Though proteins are greater portion of the membrane by mass, it is the lipids that take the greater area of the membrane since they're not as heavy as protein. So let's go back to the soap bubble. So we take that soap bubble, let's say it's five inches in diameter, right? By mass, that soap bubble, the, the, the membrane of the bubble that's the soap, let's say it's fat, okay? It's like a cell membrane, so it's lipids. And imagine tiny little proteins stuck either on the outside or the inside of that membrane or passing through the membrane keeping the membrane intact. By weight, by weight, the protein weighs more than the fat, right? So if we took the weight of that bubble with the protein in it and we removed the protein, we would take a considerable amount of that weight away and then we'd be left over with whatever the lipids weigh. So we're saying that the proteins are a greater portion by mass. In other words, they weigh more, but the lipid maintains the greater surface area of the membrane itself. Does that make sense to everybody? Yes, yes. Okay, it's time for the fingers. So people don't like to say if they don't understand, and I get that, because no one wants to feel too uncomfortable. So this is something I learned, and they use it in grade two, and it works really, really well. <clears throat> so if I ask you if you understand, if you completely understand, and you can turn to your partner and explain it to them fully and completely, you will give me four fingers. If you understand, but you don't know if you could quite explain it, it would be three. If you understand parts of what I'm saying, but parts you don't, that is a two. And if you don't have a clue what I'm saying, it would be a... So, just put up your hands. How many of you understand what's going on? So I can see them, please. And that lets me know, okay, good, I can go on. Because I'm seeing a majority of people who kind of get what I'm talking about. It just really helps a lot in terms of it. So, when we say that this is mostly fat by mass, what I want you to understand is these circles and tails, this represents the lipid portion of the membrane. So whereas the pink and the blue represent the protein components and these represent the sugars, yes, this is more by weight by mass or more by mass, but it is the lipid part that represents the fatty part of the membrane. So it is a they are called phospholipids and they have a portion that is hydrophilic, which is water-loving, and a portion that is hydrophobic, right? So when we look here, I'm not going to write this thing as I'm just going to explain it to you. The circles are a phosphate, okay, phosphate molecule. They are known as the heads. Think of the circle as a head. And the tails, the green things, are fatty acids. So they are fat or lipid. Okay, so, so what happens when we mix water and oil together? Do they get along? 
No, they repel each other, right? Okay. So the heads are hydrophilic, water-loving. But the tails, because they're fat, are hydrophobic, water-hating. Yes. I had a feeling I grabbed the one, one, wrong one. Okay. Uh, what does yours look like? I gave you guys the wrong one. Okay, I gave you the wrong one. Just a minute. Uh, just give me a second here, and I will give you the new one. Sorry about that. So I gave you an old one. I'm using some of the old one, but not all of it. So which one did I use here? Yeah, what's the, what's the name of the file though? Really? Did some of it not save? My new, my, the, my one I have here, I just opened up is 19. Is that correct? So, so which, so I will open the screen up just for a second because I just opened this. So this is the one you guys have, right? It says this. Or that one. Okay, that's what you guys have? So what have I been using then? Let me see. Okay, hang on. So let me see which one I... don't know why that would be different, because I named it the same. Don't know what happened there. Okay. Let's continue with this one then. Sorry, I don't know what happened there. This the one you've got? Okay. So, though so proteins are a greater portion of the membrane of my mass, as I said, it's lipids that take up the most of it. The lipid portions are said to be amphipathic, which means they have a polar and nonpolar part. So when we look at this, I may have jumped ahead to my lecture to some degree. So I said that the heads are phosphate, and the tails are fatty acid, okay? They're said to be polar, which means there is a difference between each end of the molecule. In most cases, polar tends to mean positive, negative, okay? So we're saying that they're amphipathic, which means they have a polar and nonpolar part, all right? So the polar part is the head and is hydrophilic. So this is a phosphate. It's said to be polar, and the nonpolar parts are two long tails, fatty acids, which are hydrophobic here. So when I put water and oil together, why do they separate? Right. You're putting a polar and a nonpolar together. Okay, so they don't like each other. Whereas if I put two polars together, such as salt and water, what happens? Right, so the water molecule is said to be polar, has a positive and negative, rips the sodium chloride apart, 
So the negative part of sodium chloride, chloride goes to the positive part of the water molecule, and the positive part of the sodium chloride sodium goes to the negative side of the water molecule, and you see it is, where did the salt go? Okay, fats are nonpolar. So when you put it with water, the water can't separate it into a positive and negative side, so it just sits there on top. Okay, so being hydrophilic, this has the capability to do that, and it likes water. Whereas the fat is nonpolar, so it, it is hydrophobic. Water soluble products find it very, very hard to travel through that membrane because of those tails, because of that fatty environment between the two heads. Does everybody understand that? Yeah? Okay. All right. We're getting there. Yes. So. The polar part is the head, it's hydrophilic, whereas the nonpolar parts are two long tails, fatty acids, which are hydrophobic. So we see here, artist rendition here, so again, another membrane. Over here on the left-hand side, you'll see the hydrophilic polar heads on both sides. Please remember, you know, they face each other, so there's either extracellularly or intracellularly is the hydrophilic components. And then between the two heads are the tails, which represent the hydrophobic part or the non-water, the hydrophobic non-water part. Okay, so there are, th there are two layers of lipids, we can say then. So there's two sets of tails, and the hydrophilic portions face the extracellular and intracellular environments, whereas the nonpolar lipid parts face each other into the middle. So this is much better than my drawing. So this represents the membrane, and you can see if, if I'm a water-soluble product, I'm going to have a heck of a time trying to get through here because I have this massive network of these fatty acids or of these non-polar hydrophobic components that make up this membrane that make it very difficult for them to pass through. Remember we said that the cell membrane is semi-permeable. It allows some things through and other things not. This is why it's like this way. It allows it to control what moves into and out of the membrane or the cell. So because there are two layers of lipids, not only is it known as the plasma membrane, you're going to see that a lot in your textbook or any of your readings that you do, it is also known as the lipid bilayer membrane. In other words, it has two layers of lipids that make up its membrane. That's what we mean by bilayer. Okay? Cholesterol has a hydrophilic portion that helps make create the hydrophilic portion of the membrane. And it is more rigid, we said, than the phospholipid and therefore provides rigidity and strength. Okay, I already said about that. Now the glycolipids, so think about that, the pink, the pink uh, hexose coming off the green tails. Glycolipids are also ampipathic, polar and nonpolar, and they help create both the hydrophilic and the hydrophobic components as well. And generally speaking, we tend to see these carbohydrate chains tend to face to the outside of the cell. Remember I said they're about receptors and identification. So we wouldn't want them on the inside because they wouldn't know. But part and parcel of the relationship of your body inside molecularly or microscopically is how do they everybody know each other? Through the receptors on there. And we're going to learn that in, in past you're going to learn, you may see some research that, you know, when, when invaders come in, they take advantage of these receptors. They pretend to connect the receptors and that allows them into the cell to destroy the cell or make it sick. Uh, other ways... Um, the immune system uses receptors and something else we're going to learn here in a minute of, of invaders to say, 
you don't belong here. That's how I recognize you don't belong here because your receptors are not anything I've ever seen before in this body. So you don't belong here. You need to get the hell out of here. I need to kill you. Okay? All right. Uh, it's also known as the plasma membrane. Yep. Now, these carbohydrates together form a sugary coat. So now I want you to think of a cell like an M&M's or a Smarties, right? So you have this nice coating of sugar on the outside of, of the cell itself. The pattern of these carbohydrates vary from cell to cell. And this shell of carbohydrates is known as the glycocalyx. Okay, so it's a hard shell around the outside of the cell, glycocalyx, and every cell has its own glycocalyx that's sort of its signature. Now, the body recognizes all the glycocalyx signatures in the body. So it knows that, you now you belong here, I recognize yours, you belong here, I recognize yours. As I'm floating around, I'm an immune cell, and I'm like, oh yeah, you belong here too, yep, okay, you guys are good. And all of a sudden, you come in, and your glycocalyx I've never seen before. That's when my immune response kicks in, and I fight that invader, okay? When um, you're inside mom, your body actually takes stock of itself and recognizes all the cells within there, and they're, they're similar because of their glycocalyxes and their receptors and so forth. And that memory is there forever. Okay? So it knows who you are. So all of a sudden you've got heart disease. Time for a transplant. So I'm going to take your heart out and put somebody else's in. What do they need to do for you to maintain that new heart? They try to make them as compatible as they can, but they're not perfect. So what else do they have to do? Yeah, anti-rejection medicines. And what do those do? Yeah, they block the immune system. It's a hell of a price to pay because by blocking the immune system, these folks have a greater um, chance of getting cancers and getting very, very ill because they can't fight the things that we normally do. Yes? Yes. Right. Yes. So along that line, I watched a show the other day, about a month ago, where they took a human heart and they dissolved all the cells inside of it and only left the connective tissue model of the heart. Connective tissue does not contain the DNA like your muscle cells and all those sorts of things. So they literally filled this thing up like water and looked like a ghost heart. It looked exactly like a human heart, but it was, it was white because it was all connective tissue. They then take your cells, your stem cells, and inject them in because they can make a stem cell beat like a heart, but they have yet... I've not been able to make a stem cell become a heart. So they realized that if they could make this connective tissue model and put stem cells in, it then uses the model to become a heart. And because it's you, they put it in and you don't reject it anymore. So it's coming down the pipe. I don't know when that's going to happen, but the day will come. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What's that? The problem is, though, again, it's not you. I don't know. I'd have to... I'd, and, Yeah, the problem with machine hearts is that blood is really, really sensitive. It doesn't like getting jiggled because when it gets jiggled, it tends to clot. So, so far, every mechanical heart that's been made, those individuals end up dying from uh, pulmonary emboli or strokes or whatever because they, they make these massive clots 
and it ends up killing them because the blood just, the mechanical heart just causes too much eddies and currents and the blood cells don't like it and get clots. So. We're getting there though. It's going to happen. So invaders also have, as I said, have a special glycocalyx. And um, the other thing as well as uh, this, this glycocalyx does help hold the cell together and does act as a little bit of a line of defense again against any enzymes that may want to go in and dissolve the cell. It also creates a negative charge on the cell's surface, which tends to attract cations and repels ions, anions. And what charge do anions have? What are they? They're negative. So that means that a lot of invaders tend to be negative. So it's, it's again, another form of defense. So these guys, these integral proteins, this one that travels through, it can function as a channel which allows things to travel from the outside to the inside of the cell. And uh, they tend to be selective. So this one may be for calcium. We might have another one down here on the other side and its whole thing is for potassium and they can they tend to be selective that way so that uh, you'll have a number of them in the body that are very receptor specific they also can work as carriers now large water soluble compounds if you look at the list are pretty important glucose and amino acids what do we amino acids eventually make proteins do we need proteins have i told you about proteins they're everything absolutely everything so obviously we, the body needs to make them. Well, because they're water soluble, they cannot very easily get through here. They just they can't. So things like glucose and 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 these amino acids, they use these channels in order to get into the cell at, at a particular time. So a channel allows things to pass through that are selective, right? Selective. Whereas a carrier has a transporter as part of it, sort of throws this glucose on its back and kind of works its way through the membrane and then lets it out into the intracellular environment where the, it can then continue to, into the cell and do whatever it needs to do when it gets in there. The other thing is uh, integral proteins also act as receptors there. So specific receptors bind to a specific type of molecule such as the insulin receptor. So when insulin is released by the pancreas when your blood sugar is high, this guy may have a uh, kind of a insulin receptor, okay? And when insulin is injected into the body, the insulin will then attach to this receptor, thus allowing it to open and help it get through, glucose, help glucose get through into the cell. Ultimately, when you're trying to lower blood sugars in your, in your bloodstream, where do they all go? All that glucose goes inside the cell, in all the cells in your body. That's where it all goes, right? And then there's another process by which glucose is released by the body for the body to utilize it as a fuel source when you don't have enough to eat or you don't have enough glucose. And where, does it, where did I say the majority of glucose is used? Brain. That's what a lot of it's dedicated to. Uh, and then, of course, enzymes. And that, this is where, again, when I talk about how important proteins are, Enzymes catalyze specific chemical reactions. What does catalyze mean? Okay. How important are enzymes? What do enzymes do? Okay. Break down proteins. 
But ultimately, chemically, what do they do? Okay. What else do enzymes do? What's the number one thing, chemist? Who took chemistry? What do enzymes do? Speed up chemical reactions. That's why there's. That's the the main reason why they're so vitally important in the human body. Under certain circumstances, a chemical reaction may take a very long time. In the presence of particular enzymes, you can triple to the power of 10 change chemical reactions in the body to happen very quickly. What are enzymes? Proteins. Proteins. That's why I keep saying everything's about proteins in the human body. Enzymes are so important because they really do influence chemical reactions. So without proteins, we don't have enzymes. Nothing would happen in, in, a, in an appropriate speed for the body to be able to maintain good health. How are we doing? I keep telling you guys, man, I can talk a lot. Am I killing you? Because I'm looking around and people are like, holy crap. The cold from where? Oh, everybody's sick? Did I give it to all you guys? Yes. I want to go 10 more minutes. Finish my thoughts here. So, we have examples. So, we have ion channels, which allow specific ions to move through. And then we have carriers. You can see here, uh, it carries specific substances across the membrane by changing shape. And then we have receptors which recognize a specific ligand. And that's the thing to remember here, that when we, when we talk about receptors, they bind to a type of molecule, and it is known as a ligand, L-I-G-A-N-D. So there are specific ligands out there that these receptors are sensitive to. And when the body releases insulin, it's not the insulin, it's the ligand that's in the insulin. And as it travels by the cell, the receptor grabs it, right? The receptor grabs it, and then in goes the glucose, okay? So understand, cells are kind of dumb. Those, these channels are kind of dumb. So they won't let glucose in until the insulin comes along and touches it, gets connected to that receptor, and then things move on. Uh, examples of different membrane proteins. So we have enzymes, which I talked about, which we find enzymes both in integral and peripheral proteins. And remember, as I said, enzymes speed up chemical reactions. That's their whole point, both inside and outside. So for example, lactase producing, protruding from the epithelial cells lining your small intestine splits the disaccharized lactose into the milk you drink. How many people here are lactose intolerant? Yeah, you know what? You are lacking lactase in your gut. So you can't break down that disaccharide into a monosaccharide. In the body, all sugars are either polysaccharides, disaccharides, or monosaccharides. You need to get all your sugars down to monosaccharides for the body to function properly. So one of the things that you guys can't do, like me, you can't break down, lac break down lactose. So what does it do? It putrefies inside your gut because it's sugar. It putrefies, and it does one of three things. It either gives you constipation, makes you, gives you diarrhea, or makes you fart like crazy. And you would vomit, yeah. Well, I've had my, you've heard my big thing about cow's milk anyways, right? should not be drinking cow's milk after one year of age. It just shouldn't be happening. There's no need for it. Yeah, I don't agree with milk at all. I haven't drank milk in 30 years. Yeah. Um, what's that? Soy milk. What's that? 
That's my hard part. Cheese is hard. Cheese is really, really hard, right? Now, but there's lots of tastes and stuff like that. There's there's lots of alternatives because both my daughters are vegan. So I've I've tasted lots of cheese alternatives. Some of them aren't very good, and some of them are actually not bad. Um, what's the stuff you call to use for parm? Parmesan. Um, no. Nutritional yeast. That's it. Yeah, it works actually. It's pretty close though. I make a pretty mean uh, hot Italian sandwich. Yeah. Um. The other thing you can get uh, linkers and cell cell identity markers. So I'm not going to. I don't spend a lot of time on those, but these are just some of the examples of what these proteins can do. Those are integral. Peripheral proteins, as I said, they lie on the surface. They're slightly different. They do not pass through the membrane entirely. They tend to be more common on the cytosol side. Which side is that? The inside. They primarily are enzymes. And they can provide attachment for protein filaments found within the cytosol to help provide strength. So when we get to the end, when we get to um, to uh, organelles later on, there's all these little microfilaments here, and they find attachment to these proteins, thus giving even more increased strength on the cytosol side of of the cell itself. Um, there are some integral and peripheral proteins which act as receptors on the surface for recognition, and nearly all the integral proteins and a good number of peripherals have a carbohydrate group, which of course makes up the glycocalyx, which you said is like the candy coating of, of the cell itself. Uh, they're known as glycoproteins, and along with glyco uh, uh, lipids, we said, help form the glycocalyx. Go back to this, go back to the bubble, the salt bubble. The bilipid layer is a fluid mosaic meaning the lipids create a lipid liquid in which the proteins float around and those proteins will change position on a cell as much as 10 million times a second they're always floating around so again this is why if you think 10 million times a second so if you think of again that soap bubble Right? If you make a soap bubble, you're going to go this weekend, I know I'll make soap bubbles, look at it. But if you see it floating, you'll see that that soap shifts. It's never, never static in that bubble. It's always moving. So when I talk about a fluid mosaic, this membrane is always kind of shifting and changing. And then, yes? That, yeah. So, so if, if, um, if I represent a, an integral protein, say from my axillary region to my knees is the is the bilipid layer, and then my feet are the cytosol and my head is extracellularly, I'm actually floating around with all the rest of you at any given time. And in fact, sometimes depending on the role the cell does, the cell may shift all the integral proteins to a certain spot to perform a task. And then they all kind of move around again. So it's always kind of shifting to 10 million times a second. And I didn't know that 10 million either until I actually was looking at the textbook. I was like, wow, 10 million times a second. Pretty amazing. So as I said, it allows for lipid and protein molecules to change their positions uh, where they may need to be. So there are various functions this membrane has. First, it's to create an electrochemical difference between the intra and extracellular fluid ions. And that's pretty important. We're going to learn about that a little bit later. There is a deliberateness by cells to have a charge difference between the inside part of the cell and the outside part of the cell. That is so important. That's how muscles contract. That's how the heart beats. That's how neurons send messages 
to parts of the body. So that's one of the more important things a cell membrane needs to do is to maintain a gradient difference of charge between the inside of the cell and the outside of the cell. We're going to get into that a whole lot more a little bit later. They also act as a communication vehicle between cells, so cells will talk to each other via that. Ultimately, though, it regulates passage as to what goes in the cell and what comes out of the cell. How was that? We've only just begun. Okay, take a break. Uh, about 25 to.